Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malakian, U.S. Editor of Waters. As always, joined by James Rundle, News Editor for Waters. Good morning. So, uh, dreary little cold, snowy day. Well, not snowing, but the leftover remnants of snow yep. here in New York City. And um, just, you know, the, the North America's just been... Hit pretty hard uh, these past uh, couple of days Absolutely with cold. Brass monkeys. Apparently, it's been the coldest air on earth has been passing through the northeast. Nice. Um, it's been good. Yeah. I certainly felt it. I've lost my gloves. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I read a. My dad sent me a funny uh, meme of a picture of the U.S. map with all the temperatures across it, mm-hmm. and it said uh, Donald Trump's been in office for one year and he's already solved global warming. <laughs> <laughs> good for a good laugh there. Yeah, we don't take things too seriously. <laughs> Um, so, uh, our colleague Mia is still stranded in Chicago. She's yeah. flying back from the Philippines at the diverter flight because of the storm here in New York City. Um, so, uh, hopefully she'll be back in town uh, for next week. She's not even getting back until tomorrow, though, is she? Saturday hopefully afterwards. tomorrow. It's still not locked in. Um, so, the airports are all closed? So well, it's now that they're opening back up, there's such a backlog, oh, I think, right. of so flights going in, so they just can't get a gate, I guess, is what's happening. Yeah. Um, Do I remember a few years ago being stuck at JFK for five or six hours, I think, because the pipes had frozen on the aircraft, it was that cold, so yeah, yeah it's yeah. not good. So. Never fly, that never happens on a train, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. You know, the rails every now and again, but yeah. other than that, yes. it never happens on a train. Because um, you can't quite take a train from the Philippines. Or anyway. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to talk... Um, First up, we're going to talk a little bit about MIFID II, just some of the things that we've seen since the implementation date went live on Wednesday. Um, and then I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a tutorial on these uh, Women in Data and Technology Awards. I've been getting a lot of questions, so hopefully this will help answer some of those uh, for you. So um, let's start off with January 3rd. Yeah. The thing that we've been talking about for years like now. Six years now. That's, six uh, years. Finally comes to pass. Yeah. MIFID II is officially law, um, and firms have had to get into compliance, um, the beginning parts of it. Um, for you, what's the most interesting thing? Uh, I mean, it's all very real. I think I've stayed in contact with a lot of guys I've been talking to over the years, MIFID II, over the Christmas period, just sort of saying, how's it going? You know, is everything locked in? And some guys are saying, yeah, we're pretty much there. The big banks pretty much was sort of, you know, most of the team has done what they need to. We put the code freeze in later than usual, but it's still there. Some other guys, particularly the vendors actually who I spoke to, were um, saying that they were pretty much eating Christmas dinner at their desks during sure. the entire time because, uh, as is Esmer's wants, there was a flurry of announcements before Christmas that changed the game for a lot of things, not least of all um, the requirements to use LEIs was given the six-month relief. Uh, which is a big deal for a lot of people. Um, I mean, a lot of system changes at the last minute um, could potentially mean some problems with reporting down the road as well. Um, but all in all, I mean, it seems to have been okay, I guess. Like, no one's really fully compliant. No one's really that bad so far. I haven't heard any horror stories. Well, maybe one horror story, which we might get to um, after this podcast <laughs> when it goes up. It depends what the people involved say to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are using January the 3rd not necessarily as a final date for compliance but okay this is when it starts so yeah. now we kind of it's it's in practice we can see what's happening with all the moving parts um 
we can design solutions around it. Well, I mean, even with, let's, let's take a look at maybe over here in the U.S., some recent, you know, Dodd-Frank has obviously been put in place for a long time now, but, you know, when uh, Form PF came in, you know, I remember just mm-hmm. everybody would talk about the challenge and everything building up to it, but then it's, okay, now we're live, there are going to be hiccups. You just want to, I guess, I guess the thing is not to make a group that's going to cost, a, that's going to create a yeah. huge fine, create outages, creates um, any, any sort of legal um, problems. That, that now that's what really what you're kind of focusing on. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's a bit more complex. I mean, you know, when you talk about Dodd Frank, you know, the discrete elements that were things like Form BF, as you said, you know, Title Seven um, with the SEF trading and all the rest of it. Volker rule, stuff like that. Initial margin rule coming Initial, in now. Well, exactly. Well, they all came in piecemeal. Yeah. This is like all of it landing at once, and then yeah. suddenly you have to deal with it all. So there is a lot um, to be said for people who are struggling with it, I guess. But then there's also the fact that it was delayed by yeah, people have had time to digest it and get towards it. So, um, I mean, really, if you don't know what you're doing by now, that's a bit of a problem. I think. Yeah. So, and yeah. So I think uh, we wrote a lot of articles about this, and we'll link to them. Um, I we're gonna. I'm gonna toot my team's own horn here. That's mm-hmm. what we're But um, we uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we covered it. I think better than anybody. Um, quite frankly, if yeah. I might say so myself. No, I think so. Over the course um, of the last two months. So, two stories though. I guess that jump out. So we'll put them up there. You can read anyone you want. Um, but two stories that kind of jumped to mind is first of all your opinion piece. I thought that you took a, a an interesting perspective that. This kind of this this thought that regulation so six years as you said mm-hmm. to finally get this thing to fruition, reg is too slow to keep up with technology in a lot of ways. Yeah. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean that was a specific reference to high frequency trading, which you know really took off um, from MIFID one, which created NTFs and sort of broke the back of the monopolies in Europe and the national stock exchanges. Sure, created a bunch of other venues. People got arbitrage between them, opened the door for a lot of this high frequency trading. Um, high-speed trading to come in, uh, everyone kind of reacted aghast in a lot of ways. And you had um, you had that book, Flash Boys, come out yeah. as well, Michael Lewis. Dark, what was the one before that? that was, cause Michael Lewis always got the credit on it. Was it. The like, credit there was the other it one. It was Scott um, Patterson, Patterson from the yeah. Wall Street Journal who wrote Dark Pools, which was Dark great. So that was more like a history of what happened with the island ECN and how that kind of led but up there to was it. So much, there, was, there was a lot of borrowing there, I felt like, in Flash Boys so, yeah. that showed up in Dark Pools. I'm like, hmm. So I used to work with Scott, actually, at the, the Journal, and uh, he's, now, he's now covering mining, weirdly, in London, really? um, of all things. But, Bitcoin uh, mining, actually. Actual yeah. So I was in the elevator with him once. I was like, "What do you think about Flash Boys?" He went, "Right before." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway. yeah. Anyway, um, the point of this was that you know, and I think Case Winburn um, wrote a piece in Financial News about this actually this week, saying that you know, at the time when a lot of these provisions were being put in place for Mifid Two, HFT was the big bogey man in the market. So everyone was concerned about it. Everyone was you know talking about how this is a major market structure problem that has to be solved. By the time MIFID 2's come in, HFT's actually declined a lot. You know, a lot of firms are now saying, and there's guy in Geneva trading last week, he said it's not profitable anymore mm-hmm. to keep doing it. Some firms are obviously still doing it, but yes. um, it's not the big bogey amount. You can read sports. about one of those firms in the January issue. You once. can, yes, <laughs> a certain Chicago-based trading firm. Um, and the point of this is that, you know, the way the EU legislative process works is very good for certain things, for, like, domestic law and for things like common agricultural policies and all the rest of it. For financial market legislation, it's not so great. There's a lot of things that has to go through before things become law, a lot of amendments, a lot of time in what they call trialogue, uh, which are discussions between the Parliament, the Council, and the uh, and the Commission. Um, it means that it can't react very quickly. And as technology 
increasingly becomes the market, which is something we've heard, you know, in every conference for the last three or four years, technology is now the market. We are now technology firms. Finance and technology are indivisible. The pace at which you can innovate on a technological scale is far outstripping the ability of regulators to actually react and digest and understand and form appropriate kind of uh, legislative responses. Um, so, yeah, okay, now we've got things like automated trading provisions in MIFID 2, algo testing, all the rest of it. I already feel like we're talking about stuff that we covered you know, three years ago, sure. like, I think, which we did. Um, it doesn't even mention things like artificial intelligence, which is recently yeah. the FSB's been warning about systemic risk from that. It doesn't mention blockchain. It doesn't mention uh, even quantum computing and all the challenges that's going to bring in the future. Sure. Um, and, you know, this legislation, this package was designed with the idea that Europe was a 28-member bloc. Now we know that's not really the case with Britain leaving in a couple of years, mm-hmm. presumably. Um, so questions have to be asked of, okay, well, regulators have said there's not going to be a MIFID 3, but if this was designed for a MIFID 2 where your chief financial centre is now outside of the union, how do you react to that and how do you change it? How long did it take for, because it, it is a great point that, you know, look, let's look at some of Something like machine learning has been around for decades, in the 60s, or yeah. 50s, something like that. You know, um, but the advancements now that are being made, you know, through deep learning, um, through the amount of data, through the processing power, through the ability to store data, all these kind of different components that are making it more viable. Um, now we're starting to look at okay, well, if you're running your models using, uh, you know, a black box, you know, mm-hmm. uh, machine learning algorithm. Are regulators going to be okay with that? There's a lot of questions that be raised around that. Blockchain is another great example as we kind of start implementing this quantum computing. We've gone from what seven qubits to uh, you know to fifty. Yeah, so right about there with IBM, just this year. Yeah, these are rapid advancements. How long? So it's six years for MIFID two. How long was MIFID one between? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, MIFID one, I think, took about four or five years to come into fruition. I mean, it went live in, what, 2007? Yeah. So, yeah, between... And 2012 was when the commission instructed ESMA to start drawing up draft standards, I think, or the pond, or the... Um, Do you think that going forward that regulation, rather than having these big, bulky, you know, granted there's an understandable reason why, you know, Dodd-Frank came about, you know, yeah. the financial crisis, stuff like that, but that that can't quite be the way of the future as the markets become more and more electronic, as trading becomes more and more no, automated, I, I, stuff like I think, that? Um, I think there will be a place for these big-scale regulations, these big Dodd-Franks and these big methods, because eventually you reach a point where market structure changes so radically that you have to address it in a major way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the world of trading from the year 2000 to the world of trading in 2018 is completely different from mm-hmm. what it was. You know, and, that's classes, only, and that's going to change... That span, yeah. 18 years, is going to shrink. You know, the, between 2018 and 2022 yep. is going to be Completely a similar, a similar yeah. shocking change. Yeah, I mean, right? maybe not that, um, that quick, but definitely you'll start to see, I think, I mean, the shape of the Bitcoin future. Coming in there, right? Exactly, things like that. You know, the Bank of England is talking about developing its own cryptocurrency now, and that kind of thing for financial yeah. stability purposes. So how do you factor that into various regs around not just uh, what's included in MIFID, but around anti-money laundering, around market abuse and everything else that goes into it. So I think um, we would be naive to assume there would not be a MIFID 3. Um, probably start working on it in the next five years, I'd imagine. Um, but I think the problem with technology becoming the market is that it, it does break down jurisdictional and national boundaries to an extent as well. So when you're dealing with AI and blockchain, and everything else that has an impact on market structure. It's not just affecting European market structure or American market structure or 
Asia Pacific, it's, it's happening globally. Yeah. You know, if you replace the CCP with a blockchain system, uh, as uh, as the Australian uh, uh, financial market is doing, that doesn't just affect Australia; it affects the entire region. Sure. So, you know. Well, I think that brings me on to that second article I was talking about was. Um, uh, me and our reporter in Hong Kong, Wei Shen, teamed up on an article, but you know, a lot of it was from just about this education gap that that exists in yeah. different regions. So in the U.S. and in Asia, specifically in Asia, um, you know, you talk about the problem that they're having in Europe right now. You know, some hiccups and stuff like that around post strings, whatever have you, um, reporting that exists in Europe. Yeah. Well, that's exacerbated when you get out to Asia. Oh yeah, and then um, Wei Shen spoke to a bank uh, chief operating officer with some lovely quotes, but one of which was that you know. <laughs> To look at the level of of preparedness and preparation on their counterparties to be able to even trade, it's just not there. You yeah. know, you have to trade Asia to Asia. You can't trade Europe to Asia because it's just not going to work that way. And he was saying, you know, they're still having an issue with an education gap or a knowledge gap in highly developed markets like Singapore. And then I think the quote says something. Now go and try and have a conversation yeah. about disclosure in Cambodia or yeah. Vietnam or you know somewhere exactly. like that, uh, parts of Malaysia. Um, you know, it's it's a basket case uh, in terms of coordination um, and yeah trying to get that rolled out is, is just a huge task so I think again like your Mifid we talk about the birth of Mifid 2 being January 3th and it's on live this is probably the start of it in the next five years are actually going to be the implementation of Mifid 2 sure. to try and get it rolled out on a global basis get everyone compliant I mean not least of all because a lot of um, uh, exchanges got 30 month exemptions from some key aspects of the derivatives rules as well like open access Yeah, um, 30 months is a huge amount of time to stuff in so it's something we're obviously going to be writing a lot about, talking a lot about. If you hear about any troubles that firms are facing, we'd love to hear from you on that front. Yep. Um, and then Keep your any, eyes anything that maybe, you know, because once these things go live, you start to realize where there was faulty, you know, kind of uh, faulty thought behind the regulation where it created new problems or stuff like that or mm-hmm. didn't quite cover areas that it was supposed to area. Uh, cover so we'll be interested to hear from that if you have any insight of that obviously our uh, email and phone lines are always open sure. for that yeah and particularly around the data i mean we're already hearing of issues with with maybe with isins uh and, and reporting problems at various places on that so if you have any information then please feel free absolutely mm-hmm. um so you know that's the big story coming back from you know as everybody had off most everybody had off on uh, january 1st that didn't have to sit there working on mifid 2 implementation <laughs> but um so this week has been slow news-wise. Next week we kind of expect things to kind of start picking up again. Um, so I wanted to take this time because I have been, while we launched the Women in Data and Technology Awards in the middle part of December, it was right before everybody was basically leaving. I'm, plenty of people priority left. I think we launched on like December 19th, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was late in the day. Um, so now we're kind of making the push. And so it is a tight deadline. January 19th is technically the deadline I'm would put money on it that it'll be at least the Friday after that, so whatever. No, but, um, yeah. but for those of you asking some questions, I wanted to kind of go through, answer maybe so, you know a quick little FAQ right here um, for you. Um, if ever you've entered the American Financial Technology Awards, the Sell Side Technology Awards, or the Buy Side Technology Awards, very similar process. It's 500 words. We want to hear about why this person deserves to be uh, nominated, considered. What are some of the major projects that she's overseen? We have some like 18 to 20 categories, so figure out which one is the best. You can enter the person into more yeah. than one category where appropriate. 
And if you are a company, you can enter multiple women from your organization. In fact, we want to see that. We want to see the best of the best from the industry. So if you have 10 women that are working at uh, your organization, let's see, 20, whatever that you know you feel, each category there's a woman that you can point to 100%. Yeah, and not just you know people doing their job as well. Like you want to hear about what stands, what sets them aside from other people exactly. in their industry. I mean, the most, uh, from judging the afters, the most successful entries um, are the ones that point to that kind of extra mile that people go and the way they kind of bring their own personality and their own influences to the table and make it work for other people. And, and you know, it's not just a case of someone, oh, they got given charge of this project and it was delivered on time and it was great and everyone was happy. Yeah. It's more a case of, okay, what else have they done? You know, how they mentor people, how they encourage people, you know, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, you, know, you want to see results. You want to see, here's a project, here's something that the, that she specifically oversaw, here's the result of it, here's how it's bettered our you know, institution. Here's how it bettered something that didn't exist before. Here's, you know, we never would have thought to implement X, Y, Z, but, you know, she brought it and saw it to, to completion, and this is why she deserves to be nominated. Um, so that's key. Um, let's see here. Yeah, more than one woman from organization. You can enter, you can enter uh, multiple women into a single cat. So let's say there's three women you kind of eat your own a little bit in that one. Um, I will say from going through a judging, you know, kind of perspective, um, that that can always be challenging um, because it, when you have a voting committee, you know, sometimes I'll like one, you like somebody else. And I don't know. That's always yeah. tricky, I think. But you're welcome to do it. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, we want these to be capital markets, you know, so, you know, from the retail banking side, not going to care. There's... We're not as strict, I don't think, in the past. We've, you know, but yeah, it, we've loosened it a little bit, especially when it comes to the buy side as well. We tend to have to cross over a little bit of points, but yeah, you know, our, our main focus is the capital markets yeah. and the institutional capital markets at that. Yeah. So ideally, you know, yeah. so but there are exceptions made, yeah. and, and but just keep keep that in mind as you're putting this together. Even if that person works on the retail side, if you can make a case that what she did also helped out with. Something that with a platform that is used by the asset management, yeah. you know, capital market team, whatever it is. Yeah, you see a bunch of you know institutions that have big institutional and big retail presences, yeah. like the CTOs and stuff. Often mobile banking and stuff like yeah. that. A lot of stuff it's bleeds over then into common other platforms places. and the rest of it. Right? Yeah. Sure. Um, let's see here. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other kind of big questions that people have been asking about. 500 words. No. Um, you put everything in a 500-word document into the space, so there aren't any um, attachments or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that that's about everything. Yeah, it's the usual rules apply. So, you know, submit, try not to ask us, you know, whether we got it or whatever. We can't tell you. We don't have access to that until submission. I don't, yeah, we don't so. see, I don't see any entry until it's, the entries have closed and we're actually judging them. Yeah. Um, so can't help you out with that. Um, if you do have additional questions that I'm not answering here, um, you know, we have my email um, here or give me a call, 646-490-3973. Um, but all that information's online. Um, or I'll send Victor Anderson, um, can help you as well, our editor-in-chief. He's now back from Cape Town, South Africa. Yes, I thought it seemed to be a idyllic and uh, lovely photo. I mean, yeah, you a photo of uh, his room was overlooking the uh, ocean there or something. And, and we're sending him pictures of us back-breaking work, shoveling yeah. snow, which yeah. probably leads on to the final point. Which leads to my final yeah. point, James. i got to get a little something off my chest here, okay? 
So I've been living in New York City uh, for now 12 years, same, same place in Williamsburg. Um, got there when it still wasn't so bad, and fortunately, uh, my rent hasn't gone up. It's rent-stabilized, even though it's not rent-stabilized. It's fantastic. I'm a lucky yes. guy. Now, I grew up, I'm from originally from Easton, Pennsylvania, eastern part of uh, Pennsylvania called Easton. And then um, lived in Connecticut for a little bit, and then... Yeah, you're from Easton in Eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, nice. yeah. Uh, went to Connecticut <laughs> for a little bit, Central Connecticut, um, which was in... The town lived in was Portland, but it was right next to Middletown, Connecticut. <laughs> I really like to be, you know, let, let people know exactly. exactly what it says yeah. in the town, right? Yeah. Um, and up to... lived in uh, Carmel, New York, which is about an hour and a half north of the city, and I went to school in Plattsburgh, which is right on the Canadian border, Canada, Vermont border. There's no place north that you can go more north in New York than Plattsburgh. So I know about snow. I know about cold weather. Okay? Been shoveling my whole life. That's how I was taught. Dad, Marine, you know, when it snowed, we had a big driveway. You know, me and my brother, Dad, go out there, just shoveling snow. It's what you did. Build right. character. It's what, man, it's man work. And even the women, sometimes you have them get involved. My sister never had to. But, you know, I'm <laughs> saying, I'm sure plenty of daughters out there are also being sent outside to go and shovel. Build character, build strength. I've been living in Williamsburg, which is, you know, this hipster hellscape, you know, for a long time. Hipsters apparently don't believe that you need to shovel, first of all. Like, they, they there's... Our neighborhoods are usually the worst. You know, it's just people just tracking. So, I was under the impression you got fined if you didn't shovel your sidewalk. You're supposed just, to. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna get into this right. in a second too. Um, but first, let me start with this. You have in, you live in the community. Let's say you're you're just a renter. You don't own the place. You still live in that community. Yeah. This is your home. I know it's not the place you grew up in, in the suburbs, you know, lived for 20 years, the house was passed down from generation to generation. This is still your home, even if it's just a one-year lease. This is the neighborhood, this is the people you live in. You have elderly people that are walking around. You have children that walk around. You have women with strollers, baby strollers, stuff like that. It doesn't take a lot of effort mm -hmm. to shovel. I'm not asking for the whole, I do the whole sidewalk. I, my... I have the cleanest sidewalk. I live in Williamsburg. I'm not actually scrub. I'm not going to tell you guys where I live. I don't want you to come by. <laughs> but a uh, big old sidewalk I have, and I'm right on a corner plot. It's a big... Yeah, so you got double big, trouble, right? So, yeah. yeah, so both sides i got to get. I'm doing this for 12 years. It's back-breaking work. By, my back is killing me today because the snow drifts were horrible. It yeah. wasn't that we got a lot of snow. It was like six inches, something like that. It was the snow drifts were painful. Clear a path. It's so simple. Yeah. And then get some salt. They're at every bodega. You don't, it's like, oh, okay, stand up. Give me a freaking break. And here's the reason why this is important. And this is why we are raising, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I, raising a generation of wimps. I have other words I might use for it. But we, all right, you work in a coal mine. You work, you know, as, as a laborer, using your hands, stuff like that. That's great, but you are getting a paycheck. This is something that you are giving back to the community, helping your fellow man out. Mm -hmm. You get nothing for it except pain, aches and <laughs> pains. Okay, now if you're old, I don't want you shoveling. I don't want you know I don't want people keeling over a heart attack either. You know, I don't no. want to step over you as I'm walking to you know the the train. 
But, you know, so you you can call. Like, if one of my neighbors was elderly and said, listen, Tony, can you help us? We used to have another neighbor. We used to have, of course, no problem. Help your fellow man. Yeah. But this is what we are losing in this society. People are like, oh, I don't, want I, I don't own the place. My landlord should do it. Listen, your landlord should do it. If your landlord does it, me and my, I love my landlord. You know, except 12 years with no rent hikes. Yeah, yeah I can shovel a sidewalk, buddy. <laughs> Ain't no big deal at all. Go and shovel, get some salt, spray it down. This, it costs you money, it costs you pain, it costs you labor, it costs you time. You get nothing for it. It is the ultimate sign of living in a society, of being with your fellow man and giving back for nothing. It's just a decent thing to do. And I'd go one step further and say, you know, uh, my, my landlord has a super duper snowblower, so I don't have to worry about the driveway, he just does that himself, but I do the steps outside, because mm-hmm. they're elderly, right? I mean, yeah. you don't want 70, 80-year-old people to be slipping up on ice and falling down. If you live like, like, like a place where I Climbing over them is tough, you exactly, know I mean? Yeah, it's just it's exhausting, and they lie there until the summer, and yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but like, if you live in an area where I live, which is a very, I'd say, elderly majority area, like, go and shovel your neighbor's steps as yeah. well, the guy next door, that kind of thing. He, you help know, he, out. He, come on, help out. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you know who your neighbor, like, I don't talk, like, New York City, especially like when you live in like apartments and stuff like that, you don't really know your neighbors at all. I don't. I know the people that live in my building. Yeah. I kind of know the guy that lives to the left of me. Kind of. Yeah. He's a loud, obnoxious piece of shit, but whatever. I know him. Um, but he can shovel his own. But yeah, help out. And this is the other thing now. Okay, so that's you're a piece of shit if you don't shovel. Yeah. If you rent a place, and your apartment, even though you have a landlord, and your your sidewalk is, you are a piece of shit because you're doing nothing about it. Don't tell me about how Trump is terrible as a president. These are the little things. These are the things that really drive me insane. People talk about Trump is ruining America. And he is. I'm with you on that. But you know what else is ruining America? You, you freaking little piece of shit. Go and grab a shovel and help out. It's $5 at CVS. Exactly. Go grab some salt. It's a couple bucks. Throw it down and help out. Don't talk to me about the homeless here in New York City and how you want to help the homeless. You won't even pick up a fucking shovel and help your fucking fellow man. But you're going to tell me about how you care about the people. You don't give a crap. It's such... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is like being Brexit all over again. I'm telling you, I'm tired of the hypocrisy of listening to people about how they care about my fellow man and you know, all these marches all over the freaking city for this cause and that cause. Shovel the damn sidewalk. How about you start with that? Little, little things in your neighborhood where you live. These are your neighbors. You look these people in the eye when you go buy something from a store. Your landlord won't shovel? Then get on his case or else and do it your damn self. Stop being a selfish little prick. It builds character. You'll feel better about yourself even though you're in pain. And even if you don't feel better about yourself, at least you're not a piece of shit. Until you that you shout, your sidewalk is shoveled, you're a piece of shit. So if anybody has any ideas on how I can link trade reporting to shoveling snow and get Tony <laughs> this wound up about it, I'd be really happy. Oh, yeah. I, that's, I, need to, I need to start my own magazine about shoveling. Which brings me part two of this, okay. as you mentioned. Right. There is a second part. Yeah. Why... Does this city, there are laws, there are statutes that say that you have to shovel if you're a business. You have to shovel if you are a private, you know, you, your landlord has to shovel for you or set up, you know, where he has somebody come and shovel. Why are whoever is in part, I'm not sure which department this falls under, I should probably research that a little bit, but just go door to door. Here's a ticket. You start handing out $100 so, so, yeah, tickets. It's part of sanitation, isn't it? So, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Or handing out tickets. Boom, here's a ticket, $100. You hand out enough of those, trust me, 
We've solved the freaking problem with snow. Well, she was like, also, if this isn't gone by three o'clock, then you're going to get a ticket. You yeah. Know, and then sort of, you know, yeah. the follow up. We can, the revenue you would create, we would, New York City, you know, our government would be praying for snowstorms then because we'll pay <laughs> for all the Department of Sanitation through the fines we'd be giving out. Yeah. And be like, oh, well, what about boom? Shovel then. Go buy a $5 shovel. It's either a $100, $200 ticket or it's a $5 shovel. Pick one. I don't care. <laughs> Tony will not be with us next week in the podcast. <laughs> After taking a little stay at a resort. <laughs> Serenity now. Yeah. Serenity now. So, shovel. Shovel. That's all I'm saying. Wow. <laughs> so next week we'll be back with uh, more about Mifid 2, Bitcoin, and all of that fun stuff. Yep. Yep. I'm um, assuming I haven't cracked my head open while walking down the sidewalk because people can't travel, you know. Or crack someone else's head open. Or crack someone, yeah. No. Spending some time at Her Majesty's Pleasure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, Women in Data and Technology. <laughs> um, <laughs> January 19th is the official, but that'll probably be pushed back at least a, a week. Not at least. It'll be pushed back probably a week, but no more than that because we have to get things done for mm-hmm. the event itself, which is held in March. But I can't remember the day. Um, Mifid 2, if you've got anything, any problems, let us know. Let us know. I'll let you know if the forehead, the vein on Tony's forehead yeah. subsides anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, we should have done this later in the day so I could immediately go to uh, the White Horse right now and get a drink. Um, <laughs> I'm going to suggest you go to the White Horse right now and get a yeah. drink. Yes. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Um, we will be back next week. James Gainville. No, that's it. All right. Have a good weekend, people. Thanks, everyone.